Sentire Media. Hello everyone and welcome to A History of Italy. Episode 57, Hadrian and Frederick's Troubles in Rome. Last time we were sitting in Rome in 1154, waiting to see what the new Pope, the first and to date only English Pope, would do. Furthermore, the new King of Germany and Holy Roman Emperor hopeful Frederick Barbarossa was on his way down after sorting out some rebellious cities in northern Italy. Or, at least, he hoped he had sorted out the rebellious cities in northern Italy. My very attentive listeners will all remember that the city of Rome was being currently ruled as an independent commune by the Roman Senate. Some use the term republic, and that was not at all what a pope would want, because the popes, as well as being the spiritual leaders of all of Christianity, also saw themselves as the secular rulers of the papal states, which most definitely included Rome. The Roman organization we are talking about is sometimes referred to as the First Republic, with the second being that of the Napoleonic era in 1799, and the third being the one under the command of Giuseppe Mazzini and Giuseppe Garibaldi in 1849. It's going to take us ages and ages and ages to get there. But if you're curious, both Talking History, The Italian Unification by the Ashwell Brothers and Mike Duncan's Revolutions podcasts have treated the topic of the Roman Republic of 1849, or Third Roman Republic, if you will. I'll put those shows into my show notes. Back in the 1150s, the Senate refused to recognize the new Pope. The Pope, in turn, refused to recognize the Senate and demanded that the anti-church corruption reforming monk Arnaldo da Brescia, moral leader of the commune, be banished from the city. Things got nasty. The murder of a cardinal led to rioting, and so Pope Hadrian did something that none other in history had done he launched an interdict on the whole city of Rome. The leader of all Christianity, in his eyes at least, had lain an interdict on the capital of all Christianity. That meant that there were to be no masses, no sacraments or religious services except for the christening and communion for the dead. So, unless you were being born or dying... There was no religion for you in Rome. It took only four days for an angry mob, including many priests, women and the elderly, to congregate and start making noise outside of the senatorial palace with crucifixes and candles. At this point, the Senate decided it might be a good idea to make peace with the Pope. So, 
He was recognized and they accepted the banishment of Arnaldo da Brescia as the price to pay. His star was waning anyway. That very same day, he left the city among the jeers and insults of the crowds who had hailed him as a saviour not long before. By now, King Frederick was almost upon the city, and Hadrian sent three cardinals out to meet him and asked for the head of Arnaldo, who by now was holed up in a castle of the Viscount of Campagnatico, near modern-day Grosseto in Tuscany. Frederick sent a SWAT team to get him and handed him over to the Pope. An ecclesiastical court found him guilty of heresy and had him hung. The points they hooked him on were his refusal of the temporal power of the church and the idea that the faithful could confess each other without the intervention of a priest. He was then burned for good measure and his ashes were thrown into the Tiber so that his supporters could not have a relic to rally around. With the death of Arnaldo da Brescia, we have the demise of what could be considered one of the first political heretics. For his enemies, he was a dangerous demagogue. For his supporters, a hero fighting the corruption of the church. As is often the case, he was probably a bit of both. He had demanded that the high clergy rid themselves of their riches and worldly possessions to follow a life of poverty and the truth of the Gospels. Now, if there is one thing that rich people don't like, it's others suggesting they get rid of their riches. Arnaldo was hailed by the Protestant reform centuries later as a pioneer and he got some new good press in the 19th century as a champion of free thought. You can find his statue today in the town of Brescia, in the square that also bears his name, Piazza Arnaldo. In Rome, the place where his ashes were thrown into the Tiber is today known as Lungo Tevere Arnaldo da Brescia, not far from Piazza del Popolo, where you can look down towards the Vatican. It was also the point in 1924 where Giacomo Matteotti was kidnapped and killed by the fascists. The year of Arnaldo da Brescia's death was 1155. Finally, perhaps, Hadrian could get into the city and Frederick could be crowned Holy Roman Emperor, so they met to discuss it. Things almost didn't even get started up. You see, part of the whole ceremony and symbolism of the crowning procedure was that the emperor should meet the pope outside of his camp and that the emperor should hold the horse's reins while the pontiff dismounted. Well, Barbarossa was having none of it. It is not part of my duty to act as papal groom. In return, the Pope refused to give the king the kiss of peace until he had done the bridle-holding business. In the end, Frederick gave in. Hadrian got to dismount smugly while Frederick held his horse, and then Barbarossa got his smooch 
and later, on the 18th of June, 1155, he was finally crowned Holy Roman Emperor in Rome after the Pope had been escorted there by the German troops. So, happy ending, right? Hadrian is finally in Rome with his buddy Freddy and he can set down to the business of poping. Wrong. The Senate was still highly miffed at Frederick about being rebuked when they had offered him the imperial title, and they certainly weren't pleased with Hadrian either. Now, to follow what happened next, it might be worth going over a little geography of Rome. In the show notes, I have posted a London Day Lonely Planet map of the centre of Rome. Obviously, it wasn't exactly like that over 850 years ago, but a lot of the places we're going to mention were already there. So, if you imagine the Tiber River coming down southwards with a slight easterly inclination, then at a certain point it swerves off to the west, the left, creating a bulge a bit like a nose. That is where the Vatican City is located, on the west side of the Tiber, north of the bulge. The Leonine City is basically the Vatican, plus some other parts which were enclosed in the Leonine walls. The river then heads south-southeast until it swerves east again, and then southwest, creating another bulge. The result is a sort of handle shape, with many of the interesting touristy bits inside the handle, the Capitoline, Piazza Navona, Campo dei Fiori, the Pantheon, Piazza Venezia, and so on. So, the Senate, annoyed, barricaded themselves on the Capitoline Hill, down south, near the second bulge. Barbarossa left Pope Hadrian in the Leonine city inside the first bulge, on the left bank of the river, and the spanking brand new emperor himself camped on the fields of Nero, just north of the Leonine city. When they had settled in, an armed mob came from the Senate and fell upon the papal guards and killed many of them, but did not get to the Pope. They then fell upon the German troops, killing a few hundred before crossing back over the river. Barbarossa's revenge was swift and brutal. After his counter-attack, around a thousand Romans lay dead and a few hundred wounded. The victory, however, was short-lived. Plagued by the complicated logistics of maintaining long supply lines and high fever among his troops, Frederick took off north with the Pope to the Monte Sorate. Here, Hadrian absolved the emperor of his sins in Rome, and with this, Frederick took off, leaving the Pope high and dry. Indeed, Barbarossa had got what he wanted. He had been crowned Holy Roman Emperor, and he was quite happy to get away while the getting was good, attacking and destroying the rebel city of Spoleto on the way back. So, there was Pope Hadrian IV, far from what he considered his own capital, that was controlled by the hostile Senate, that had yet another reason to hold a grudge. You'd think that he had enough on his plate. Well, 
This was a time that the Pope thought it might be a good idea to once again have a go against those accursed Normans down south with their new shiny kingdom that nobody really recognised. I mean, why wouldn't you when you're practically forced in exile, abandoned by the Holy Roman Emperor to your fate, go and once again pick a fight with one of the most formidable fighting forces in Europe? I suppose he thought that all the other times a Pope had been sorely beaten by the Normans shouldn't really be considered as a precedent. To his credit, it must be said that this time around, things did look pretty grim for the new Norman king. Just a very quick recap. The family that was the main protagonist of the Norman conquest of southern Italy was the Hauteville family of Normandy. Two of the most important of these brothers were Robert Giscard, who completed the conquest of Calabria and Puglia, and Roger, who completed the conquest of Sicily. It was then his son, Roger II, who gained control of the whole of southern Italy and formed the Kingdom of Sicily. King Roger II died on the 16th of February, 1154, and his son, William became king. He faced the same problems that his father had faced, i.e. a lack of legitimacy of his reign and enemies on every front, both internal with disgruntled vassals and external with the Holy Roman Empire, the Eastern Roman Empire and the Papal States all out to get him. The Eastern Empire in particular was actually out to get him in a very serious way, with the new emperor, Manuel Comnenus, preparing an ambitious expedition to continue the Byzantine resurgence with an aggressive foreign policy. However, we'll leave William of Sicily hanging there for the moment, as he faces impending doom from an internal rebellion and invasion by the Byzantine Empire and Pope Hadrian IV. Just to recap where we're leaving things, Frederick Barbarossa has come down, helped get rid of Arnaldo da Brescia for Pope Hadrian IV, and had himself crowned Holy Roman Emperor. He has then left the Pope outside of Rome, still facing a hostile Senate, ruling the city with the added element of a massacre of the Romans by the German troops, after the Romans had in turn attacked the Papal Guards and the German troops themselves. Now, Frederick is heading back up to Germany, while Pope Hadrian is contemplating getting involved down south against the Normans. As always, thanks very much to everyone for listening. Thanks in particular to my lovely Patreon supporters, the Anita and Giuseppe Garibaldi level, Ed, Jeff, Joshua, Sean and Jimmy, the Matilda Di Canossa and Giuseppe Mazzini level, Benjamin, Maddie, Mattia, Roberta, Scott, YR, the Margarita Hack and Galileo Galilei, Anthony, Ben, Silane, Chris, Dean, Ignazio, Jay, Caitlin, Kevin, Shelby, Stephen, and Vincent, and the top level, Maria Montessori and Dante Ligieri level, Sen, Paolo, and reactionary Venetian. 
Thanks also very much for a lovely donation from Ron D. Thank you, Ron, for that. As always, remember you can get in touch. Hello at ahistoryofitaly.com. At the same URL, you can click through to our social media, Facebook and Twitter, or become a Patreon supporter by clicking on the support button. Thank you very much for that. There on the website, you can find maps, timelines, and everything you need, or some of what you need, to navigate our country's complicated history. Once again, remember in the show notes, you find the links to the other podcasts dealing with the Third Roman Republic. Thanks again to everyone for listening, and until next time, arrivederci. Phew, that was a close one, eh, Freddy? Just got out of Rome by the skin of our teeth, eh? Yes. You were a little bit naughty back there, all that massacring. Not really cricket, was it? Anyway, can't be helped. Let me forgive you. Ego te absolvo a peccatis tui nomine patri et fili et spiriti santi. Amen. There you go. All forgiven and clean. Right. We need a plan to get me back into Rome and deal with that blasted Senate. Ah, oh, yes. Well, uh, you see, um, I've got to get back to, to Germany, I'm afraid. What? Yes, I, I think I left something on the fire, you know. What, what? Yeah, and I, I think my wife is calling me. What? From Germany? Yeah, you know, she's, she's got a loud voice. What? Come in, darling. Well, sorry, Aid, you know. <laughs> These women, eh? Oh, oh, no, you don't know. Anyway, bye. What? What, what? Well, blow me down. I wonder what King Willie is doing down south. Sentire Media Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentiri Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.